Welcome to the Draft Deeper Podcast. This is your host, Nathan Grubel. Joining me as always is my producer, Kevin Black. My last solo show on this platform, in case you haven't heard the news, we published on NoSealingsNBA.com a piece introducing our two brand new draft contributors to the Substack, Stephen Gillespie, who you 100% heard on this podcast before. We've been running our big board comparison podcasts for a few months now, as well as Maxwell Boundboards. Both of them have joined us at No Ceilings, and it's it's been a whirlwind. I know yesterday was certainly a whirlwind. We're recording this podcast on Thursday, March 10th, in the middle of everything going on with the conference tournaments. But my second announcement with that, that I put out on Twitter yesterday, was that Steven's going to be the brand new co-host for the Draft Deeper podcast. And I haven't had a co-host in quite some time. I did have a former co-host. His name was Cole. Unfortunately, things did not work out with Cole. So I've kind of been steering the ship all by myself, bringing on as many guests as possible. And you've heard plenty of solo podcasts in between. But no more (laughs) this solo podcast. I'm going to have Steven on with me every single episode. And I'm really looking forward to it. We've developed some good chemistry. Steven is one of the hardest working people in the draft community. He really knows this stuff and he believes specifically about going deeper into the draft, just like this show is named. He ran, he ran his big board 100 players deep before I even got to 60. So take that into account when, when you hear the both of us on the same podcast together. So I am, I am incredibly thrilled that he's going to be joining me. We'll have plenty of exciting episodes. Not only just us two, but naturally as we go through the months of April and May and into June, all the way through till draft time, we will have plenty of guests joining us on this podcast. So definitely look out for the first episode with Steven. He will be starting on this podcast with me next week. We will record on Monday, just after everything has been announced for Selection Sunday, as well as the conclusions to all of the conference tournaments. We will record a NCAA tournament preview podcast with Tyler Rucker, and I'm sure that we will have plenty of storylines to talk about as we go through and we learn who is going to be fighting for it all in each region. So I'm I'm very excited, and today is also a special podcast. It's my third to last big board update. I say third to last because I really only plan on making two revisions after this board that you're going to hear and see as well. If you're going to be following the the podcast on social media, specifically on Twitter, I will post a physical copy of this big board for you to be able to follow along with as well. But I really only plan on doing two other revisions to the board after this. And how I'm going to do that, Stephen and I have both agreed on running the podcast as such. After this update, this will be the last episode for quite a while where I go through my entire big board that I have made out. Again, this one's 260 over the course of the whole episode. Starting in April, I will be releasing chunks of my big board from 100 all the way down to number one. We'll break the big board out in chunks and Steven and I will compare 
our big boards for some fun podcasts going through that. So we'll do 191, 89 to 90, 79 to 70, etc. We'll go all the way down. So we will release that as episodic installments over the coming weeks leading up to the draft. And then by the time draft day rolls around, I may have a few revisions to my big board, but we will see how everything plays out. And obviously the other big storyline to follow, which is something that I'll touch on in this podcast is there are a number of players who could ultimately not only just declare and test the waters, but also pull their names and withdraw their names back out from the draft. There, there are quite a number of players who have considerable cases to go back to school and hopefully improve their draft stock even more than, than what it's looking like now. I'm doing my best to try and project out and I bring players into the equation who I'm not confident will be in the draft come June. But right now, they're in the discussion. We're, we're not in that period of the year. I mean, we haven't even had the NCAA tournament yet, so nobody's technically made any decisions. So we kind of have to theoretically project as many players as possible who have legitimate draft cases either this year or next year to at least be amongst the pool of prospects that I'm pulling from for this big board. So let's get right into it. Big board 4.0, no changes at the top. Actually, no changes through the top seven prospects. Chet Holmgren, Jabari Smith, Paolo Bencaro, Jay Nivey, Johnny Davis, A.J. Griffin, and Keegan Murray all comprise those top seven spots, one through seven, exactly in that order. There is a change, however, at number eight. Previously, I had Ty Ty Washington in that spot. Ty Ty hasn't fallen down too many spots on my board. He's going to fall to number 10 here. Benedict Matherin staying at number nine, which leaves room for Mr. Jalen Duren to climb on my board just a little bit. Per 40 minutes, he's averaging 18.8 points per game, 11.9 rebounds, 1.8 assists, 1.3 steals, three and a half blocks, sporting a 24.6 PER and a 62.5 true shooting percentage. Some of the synergy percentiles, by the way, are actually better than I expected to see. He's he's in the 89th percentile in terms of total offense, 86th in total defense, 89th in transition, 81st on cuts, 60th on putbacks, 44th on post-ups, 62nd as a role man. And by the way, we knew he was going to rate out very well around the basket, specifically in half-court situations, 96th percentile. But what I didn't expect compared to what I saw from him earlier in the season when I did see him in person in Brooklyn. For all that I wanted to criticize the jump shot, he's had multiple games where he's put that jumper on display, and it's shown in the numbers. He rates on the 47th percentile on all jump shots, which is not a good or a very good rating for Synergy, but it is an average rating. And you know what? Average is a lot better than I expected for Mr. Duran this early in his career, given where I believed his jump shot was not too many months ago. So you factor in his athletic profile, his size, his ability to protect the rim, when his motor's running hot, when the jump shot's falling, and some of the passing flashes he's shown off the short roll. I think as the year has gone on, I've maintained my position that Duran's evaluation wasn't going to be clean cut this year just because of, in some respects, a poor fit at Memphis. And any team drafting him, specifically this high in the top 10, at least, is going to have to take that into account. And 
if I were a scout in a war room, I think at this point, after I've seen more and more examples of skill that's likely lying there dormant and is waiting to be awoken in an NBA system after a few years of seasoning and coaching, I'm much more eager to argue for him now in the war room than I was about three months ago. So I'm going to leave him at, at number eight. I have a feeling that that's going to be where he likely ends up at the end of this process, ahead of those two other guards slash wing that I mentioned. But we will leave him there at number eight. Patrick Baldwin takes a slight stumble from 10 down to 11. I have talked about him on multiple fronts now. I even just wrote about him on my latest column over at NoSeilingsNBA.com when I laid out who are some of my guys in this draft class. I talked about Patrick Baldwin specifically. So if you need my final wrapped up thoughts on Mr. Baldwin, because his season is over at this point, it's, it's going to be moving on to the draft process for him. Definitely go check out my column. Kendall Brown stays right there at 12. On his heels, however, is Jeremy Sohan, his, his Baylor teammate. This guy has been on a tear. He's certainly been getting more opportunities, particularly as a ball handler, both in transition as well as in pick and roll sets in the half court. He's been a little more aggressive when it comes to looking to score the basketball. We know he's been an effective rebounder on both ends. He's one of the better defensive prospects that we have in this class. And all of those things are showing out in the numbers. Per 40 minutes, 14.1 points per game, 9.9 rebounds, 2.7 assists, 2.1 steals, and 1.1 blocks. His shooting splits, 48.6% from the field, 29.9% from three, 56% from the free throw line. We would love some of those splits to come up. But we do have examples on film where he's shown his stroke. I don't think his mechanics are bad. I think the jumper is going to translate in time. And he also sports a 19.2 PER and a 55 true shooting percentage. 62nd percentile in terms of total offense. 90th percentile in terms of total defense. We know how versatile of a, a, of a forward slash big wing he is. I fully expect him to guard threes and fours in the NBA. He'll be able to step up at small ball lines, depending on the five at times, and he can hold his own on the perimeter on switches against guards. He is a an incredibly versatile defender. I I don't know if I'm going to give him the, the one through five pitch, kind of like how I did for a player who he's actually being compared to by some people on social media. There are, there are some people out there who are saying that he, he's very reminiscent of what Scotty Barnes was last year for Florida State. I don't think that, that Sohan's in that universe quite yet uh, of prospect. Could he be knocking to kind of get himself in the same stratosphere? I, I don't think there's any question he's at least not going to get in. But I, I, I wouldn't put him in, in Scotty Barnes' territory quite yet. I'm, I'm ranking Sohan at, at 13 on the board. Scotty Barnes, I, I didn't do numbered rankings Last year, I did tier rankings, which, by the way, later in this process, I will still grade these players out in terms of tiers. I'm going to try and revamp my tier system a little bit from what it was last year. But if I had to stick a number next to those players, I, I would have had Scotty Barnes at a very safe number five. And that would be an eight spot difference within the lottery between the two prospects. And when you get up towards the lottery specifically, and even further into it, when we're talking about the top half, so like the, the seven or eight best prospects in the draft class, that difference, even though in some cases it can be anywhere from five to eight spots, that's a considerable gap. 
considerable gap in talent. So I'm not quite projecting Jeremy at that level, but he is a very intriguing prospect because of everything he can do on the offensive end, 87th percentile on cuts, 83rd percentile on pick and roll, 72nd in isolation. He, he grades out at a number of play types, at least at an average level. He finishes well around the basket. And again, everything that he provides you on the defensive end of the floor, the passing chops. There's a legitimate argument to rank him above Kendall Brown. I'm still giving Kendall Brown the nod because I think that Kendall Brown's a much better athlete. And I think in terms of making quick decisions with the ball in his hands, playing hot potato as your connector type of prospect, I think Kendall Brown's vision is still a little underrated in terms of we don't really hear it talked about a lot on social media nowadays, but I still think that's their form. And I think defensively, I like what I see from him on the ball. I've talked about this before. Off the ball, we know a lot of the awareness concerns. I think with the right level of coaching, he will definitely improve in that area. I mean, he he you can't process the game and see the floor how you do on the offensive end and not expect some of that to carry over in time with the right coaching on the defensive end. So I, I expect him to still be a potential two-way force in, in the NBA. Maybe not a star level player, but a starter level player. And I, I think him and, and Jeremy Sohan, are, that's a very interesting debate in terms of who you would rank higher. But I have them right next to each other. They're both, in my mind at this point, lottery-level prospects. And then at 14, I have Dyson Daniels rounding out my lottery right now, which means that Jaden Hardy slips slightly to the 15th spot, although he has been on a massive tear himself for the G League Ignite and in these these recent weeks of of quote-unquote scrimmages that the Ignite team has been playing against other G League squads. Um, Shout-out to Adam Spinella. Coach Adam Spinell over at the Box and One, who, by the way, will definitely be doing a home-and-home home series on each respective podcast in the very near future. So keep your eyes out for those episodes. But shout out to Adam because he put out a poll the other day and he put up, I, I, I love these blind resume games because I'm absolutely horrible at guessing who the prospect is. But he put out this blind resume. He put out player A, player B, player C. Player A ended up being Johnny Davis. Player B ended up being Mr. Hardy. And player C ended up being Jay Ivey. And the numbers, the splits, the averages were clearly in Hardy's favor as player B. And player B got an overwhelming majority of the votes, over 90% of the votes. Yet, I may still have Hardy ranked fairly high in terms of where he's fallen in consensus and certainly on major media boards. A lot of scouts have him in the 20s, or at the very least, the late teens. So me even still having him in the lottery conversation, while I don't have him as high as coach, I, I still feel like I'm on somewhat of an island with, with Jane Hardy. And maybe it's just because he hasn't quite panned out to be the player right now that I think everybody expected him to be through this G League Ignite season. He certainly has his strengths. He certainly has his weaknesses. But at the end of the day, if the shooting projects out, that is his most important skill, and that's going to be the skill, is always going to be the skill that's going to carry him in the NBA. And I, I still firmly believe, and I've asked this to multiple of my No Ceilings cohorts on podcasts, whether it was my show or on the No Ceilings podcast or on the Draft Act podcast, I've asked them, would we be having a different conversation about Jaden Hardy if the splits were better? 
if it's not necessarily always about his shot selection, and if more of the shots would have fallen, would he be comfortably inside the top tens of most evaluators? I still believe that to be yes. Hopefully, Coach Spinella and I will get to talking about him on one of these podcasts that we'll be doing in a few weeks here. So I'm excited to have that conversation. And I, I messaged him privately. I told him to keep driving the Hardy bus. Somebody needs to keep driving the bus because I still feel like he's another one of these players who when he gets when he gets in the workouts, when he gets in front of executives for these interviews, because he's been coached up so well in the Ignite process, he's going to know what to say. He's going to know how to act and behave himself. And if he's nailing shots and workouts, he could still be in, in the top 10 when it's all said and done in, in June. I, I firmly believe that. So at 16, I have Tari Eason. Um, Tari is, he was 15th. Last time on the board, dropped one spot very slightly to 16th. 17th, I have Max Christie. He fell a few spots, but I still have him in this top 17, top 18 type conversation. 18, I have Marshawn Beauchamp. So I have three G League Ignite prospects within the top 18. 19, I have Ochai Abaji. And then at 20, I refuse to drop this man's stock out of the first round all year long. He climbed back up a little bit on the last edition of my board, sitting at 23, and now he sits at 20, Bryce McGowan's. Why has Bryce McGowan's kept climbing? He has had a spectacular last stretch of games here, this, this game against Northwestern, the first round of the Big Ten tournament. Notwithstanding, he was coming back from an injury. I didn't necessarily expect him to be spectacular in that game, but towards the end of the year, he really finished on a great streak. I've talked about Mr. McGowan's on multiple prospects now, just uh, podcast now, excuse me, just to hit it home one more time. Per 40 minutes, 20.6 points per game, 6.3 rebounds, 1.7 assists, 41% for the field, 28% from three, 83.8% from the free throw line. He has maintained that percentage all year long. 71st percentile in total offense, 91st percentile on cuts, 76 on spot up, 72nd scoring out of pick and roll sets. 44th in transition, 43rd in isolation, 36th on handoffs, 32nd off screen. So you can see there are some areas where we can consider strengths for him right now. There are some areas on offense where we consider weaknesses right now. I would throw passing for the most part amongst the weaknesses, although when he has that initial screen that he can work out of pick and roll, he's managed to keep himself afloat in those situations, 58th percentile in terms of pick and rolls, including passes. 39th on jumpers, 78th on runners, 57th on catch and shoot shots, 27th on all jump shots off the dribble in the half court. I'm still buying all of the Bryce McGowan stock. He just, he looks like a pro three level scorer. The eye test does not lie to me. So I'm buying everything with Bryce McGowan's. I have him now as a top 20 prospect. And I still think given the right time, the right patience, the right developmental track in the NBA, I just don't see more than 14 guys who will be more talented offensively than Mr. McGowan's. Now, if he doesn't improve some of his defensive warts, if he continues to showcase some of the tunnel vision he does on different possessions, then... Sure, in a redraft, 
you would still have to probably rank a, a, a good number of guys ahead of him. But I think if he pans out, if he hits close to what I think his ceiling is, man, he could even end up being a top 10 player in this draft class. So call me crazy. I'm going to stay on McGowan's Island. At 21, another riser. Rising eight spots for my previous big board update, Mr. Mark Williams per 40 minutes, averaging 19.6 points per game, 12.7 rebounds, five blocks. And here, here's here's the series of numbers that have sold me on Mark Williams at this point. We, we know about some of the defensive versatility. He can switch out on perimeter matchups. He he's one of the better bigs in this draft class in terms of how you would how would you project him in drop coverage. We know those things. But 71.5% shooting from the field. For a man who seems to lack a jump shot at this point in his developmental curve, 74.6% from the free throw line, a 33.7 PER and a 72.3 true shooting percentage, 100th percentile in terms of total offense, 99th on cuts, 98th in transition, 93rd as a role man, 76th on post-ups, 53rd on putbacks, 96th percentile finishing around the basket. Let me reiterate this one more time. A rim-running big man, a, a lob threat, a play finisher, cuts, transition baskets, finishes as a role man, post-ups, and just bringing it all together in terms of overall around-the-basket efficiency in the half court. This is the shot profile you want from this type of big man. And as I said to Mr. Rucker on a podcast earlier this week, if you're going to draft this type of big man, particularly in the range that I'm seeing more and more people throw him into, which is within the top 25, you have to be elite, elite in these offensive categories. And Mark Williams to his credit, has been this year. He has been one of the best play finishers in the country. And when you factor in his seven-foot size, he has a 7'6 wingspan. He's 200, somewhere between 240 to 245 pounds. He doesn't look like he's 240 pounds. He carries weight spectacularly. The sky really could be the limit for Mr. Williams in multiple aspects. So while I haven't been in love with certain aspects of his game, I've I found myself with no choice but to rank him as high as I have now. I don't know if he's going to climb any higher between now and the few big board updates to come as we get closer to the draft. But I, I, I feel much better today than I did a month ago ranking him as high as I have him here, which is 21. Nikola Jovic at 22. I've kind of had them in this 20-ish range for quite a while now. So he's dropped slightly, but only ever so slightly. Still within my top 25. At 23, someone who I didn't even have in my top 60 the last time I did a board a month ago. I had heard the buzz. I saw the buzz coming when he dropped 30-plus in a game earlier in the year against Nebraska. He followed that up with a few more games 
that definitely put him on scouts radar. And then from that point on, he has continued to maintain his efficiency level. Malachi Branham out of Ohio State per 40 minute numbers, 18.2 points per game, 4.9 rebounds, 2.6 assists, shooting 49.1% from the field, 43.6% from three point range, 81.8% from the free throw line with a 19.9 PER and a 59.1 true shooting percentage. That true shooting percentage, by the way, is pretty impressive considering he is a guard who operates primarily on spot-up shots, threes. He does not do a ton around the basket. He's not a bad finisher around the basket in the half court. He rates out in the 52nd percentile, which is one of the numbers I was going to get to in a second. But still, for a perimeter-based Spot-up score, 59.1 to shooter percentage. That is damn impressive, along with, of course, the three-point percentage overall as well because he is he, he does not only take one or two three-point attempts per game. He takes a healthy amount of three-point uh, three shots per game, and he's hitting them on considerable volume at a considerable percentage. Um, 87th percentile in terms of total offense, 47th. In total defense, so that's average. He's not bad on defense. He can hold his own in the backcourt. He's just not going to be somebody you want consistently being switched onto bigger players. I think the physicality and athleticism from a certain standpoint would give him trouble in the NBA, but guarding his own in the backcourt once he gets to the league, I don't foresee him being a problem. I foresee him as being around average defensively. Um, but let's take a look at some more offensive numbers. So, 97th percentile in terms of scoring out of the pick and roll, 76th percentile on spot ups, 58th in transition, 40th on handoffs, 34th on cuts, 30th off screen. So some of those numbers, again, we would like to see some of those move a little bit better, but I don't, I don't feel like he's this aggressive player who you want consistently going to the basket, be it on cuts or getting downhill off screens. I think for the most part, you want him operating in areas where he can spot up shoot. I've labeled him in certain group chats. He's kind of like the, the quote-unquote spot-up king in this draft class, but that's really what his role is best suited for in the NBA. 95th percentile, though, in terms of pick and rolls, including passes. And he is he's a sneaky good passer. Once he gets that screen, he's able to operate off of that. He's a, he's a sneaky good passer, um, finding some of his teammates. 85th percentile on jumpers, as we would expect. 77th percentile on runners. 94th on catch-and-shoot shots, and 74th percentile on all jump shots off the dribble look. I'm not going to project Malachi Branham as a primary scoring option, but when we talk about consistent threats from the backcourt who can just make open shots and at least hold their own defending their own position, these are the types of players that NBA teams want in particular, if you can still make quick decisions with the ball, keep it moving, and operate as a secondary or tertiary creator, depending on the set out of pick and roll. This is what NBA, this is the type of player that and type of guard, I should say, that NBA teams want. So Mr. Branham has done an excellent job at raising his draft portfolio up to this point. He has risen far higher than I think a lot of people would have been comfortable to project earlier on he's still one of these guys who i have marked as yellow on the spreadsheet that i have in front of me if you if i've marked you green i'm pretty dang confident you're going to be going into the draft regardless of what happens in this month of march if you're in yellow 
you have a very considerable case to go back to school, work on some of your strengths, maybe test the waters, get feedback, but go back to school, improve upon, uh, improve upon some of your weaknesses and ultimately raise your draft stock to come back and try again in the 2023 draft. Brandon would be on that list. I think at this point, he's probably going to enter the draft. I, I find it hard to believe that at least one NBA team wouldn't give him a first round promise, but crazier things have happened. And, and maybe he does want to go back to school and who knows, possibly become a lottery picker or maybe even a top 10 guy. If he, if he makes strides in certain areas, his Ohio state teammate, EJ Liddell is right behind him at, at 24. He's also risen up a few spots for my last update. I had Liddell inside the top 30, had him at 27. At 25, I have Walker Kessler. He's moved up a few spots. We, we, we know how much I've, I've loved Walker Kessler this season, taking strides as a shooter in terms of being more comfortable shooting from the outside, trying to work that into his game while being one of the most dominant rim protectors that we have in the country. At 26, Blake Wesley. Blake Wesley has fallen down my big board a bit, but at the same time, I would still take him and, and, and make a bet on him in the first round if I were an NBA executive. At 27, I have Caleb Houston. At 28, I have Justin Lewis. At 29, entering the first round conversation for me for the first time. I've been so close to getting him in in previous updates. Mr. Christian Brown from Kansas. We got you there, buddy. Per 40 minutes, 17.5 points per game, 7.2 rebounds, 3.2 assists. 1.2 steals, 1.1 blocks, shooting 51% from the field, 38% from three-point range, 73.2% from the free throw line, 20.6 PER, 59.8 true shooting percentage. Some of the synergy percentiles, again, 84th in total offense, 81st in total defense, 83rd on handoffs, 80th in transition, 78th in pick and roll scoring, as well as cuts, 65th on putbacks, 54th on spot-ups. 96th in pick and rolls, including passes, 51st in isolations, including passes, 88th percentile on jump shots, 43rd percentile on runners, 72nd percentile scoring around the basket in the half court, 79th on catch and shoot shots, 87th percentile, all jump shots off the dribble. This dude, he's a beast. He competes incredibly hard. He's an asshole on the court. He wants to finish through you, not necessarily just over you. He's great at drawing contact, finishing those plays, getting the end one, getting to the line, finishing it off. He is an open jump shot maker. He is very capable of passing with the ball in his hands, making quick decisions. The ball does not stick with him, and he defends multiple positions. He can be a one through three defender in the NBA. I firmly believe that. 6'6 wing, good size, good athleticism. I'm buying him not as... A star-level player in this draft? No, obviously I'm not by ranking him 29, but I am saying that I believe worst-case scenario, he's a 7th or 8th man in the NBA. Best-case scenario, he can be a long-term starter for the right team. And I don't think that's an absurd claim to make, especially if you do buy into the jump shot, being there for him long-term from three-point range. If the open catch-and-shoot shots are there for him to hit if he can be a threat to convert from those spots on the floor in the half court that only makes him much more dangerous attacking closeouts, getting to the basket, drawing contact, or dumping it off. 
to somebody else to make the play. I'm a, I've been a big Christian Brown fan now for two years. There are, are multiple friends that I have in the draft community who are the same. Shout out to Mr. Rucker as well as C.J. Marchesani over at the Stepien. Big Christian Brown guy. I finally got him in my first round, and I really don't want to move him out of this range. I think he's deserved this spot up to this point. And then at 30, rounding out my first round, I have Trevor Kills. Trevor Kills moves up slightly. I moved him back into the first round. So that's my top 30. Let's move into the second round. So we're doing 31 through 60. I technically have a board made at this point, a rough draft all the way out to 100, but I'm not going to go to 100 on this podcast. We're going to round it out. We're going to run through some more of these guys, stop to, to take note of some first-timers in this range or some better risers. First-timer at 31. First-timer at 31. So similar to Mr. Branham, I did not have this player ranked in my top 60 last time around, but I have talked about him in podcast form. If you did not listen to our latest mock draft over at No Ceilings on the No Ceilings podcast feed, please go and check that out. Because I took Gabriel Prochita in the first round. I took him with one of the two late first round picks that the Memphis Grizzlies are projected to have in this upcoming draft. I don't think they're going to roster three rookies. So if they aren't going to trade any of those picks, likely one of them would be a draft and stash pick. And in my opinion, the second best international player in this class is Mr. Prochita. I would still have Jovic ahead of him. I'm, I'm still a believer in him being a long-term rotational forward, but Gabriel Prochita is one hell of a wing prospect playing 19.4 minutes per game in the Italian Liga A, seven and a half points per game, 3.2 rebounds, 0.6 assists. Those counting averages aren't going to blow anybody away, but what will 51.7% from the field, 40% from three, 80% from the free throw line, sporting a 16.9 PER and a 66.6 true shooting percentage for a wing. 66.6% for a wing. He is a big-time athlete at his position. He wants to dunk over you. He will shoot over you. He is incredibly confident pulling up from three-point range. I know that Raphael Barlow, who I had on this podcast feed not too long ago, I brought up Mr. Pachita with Raphael. Raphael had only good things to say about him as well. I know Tyler Metcalf over here at No Ceilings really loves him. He is a riser, folks. Get on the Prochita train sooner rather than later. I have him at 31. Could I get him into the first round? Possibly, especially if any of these four guys ahead of him who I think have legitimate questions to come back to school, if any of them would declare for the draft, test the waters, and come back to school, I would have to move Mr. Pachita in the first round. So that's any one of the four of Max Christie, Malachi Branham, Blake Wesley, or Justin Lewis. I think Justin Lewis still has a, a reasonable case to make to come back to school and continue to improve as, as well. If he did and he made more significant improvements, I think that he could challenge for, for lottery status in, in 2023. Absolutely. He has the size, the measurables, the physical tools, 
the three, the, the emerging three point shot, the pick and roll, pick and pop versatility, some of the short roll playmaking he's shown flashes of this year. And he is a vicious dunker and finisher at the basket. So back end of the first round, but he has a case to move up as well. So again, all of these cases that I'm going to go through, players who could go back to school, Mr. Perchita could certainly take advantage of that and climb into the first round of my board before this cycle is said and done. At 32, I have Kennedy Chandler. At 33, I have Jordan Hall. 34, Jan Montero. 35, Alondez Williams. 36, Jaime Jaquez makes a jump, getting back inside my top 40 after some great games over the last few for UCLA. 37, I have Peyton Watson. 38, I have Usman Diang. Now, both of these guys were in my first round. The last time I did an update, I wanted to make sure I highlighted them to get them back on the radar, but I've tried to be as patient as possible. I still think that Peyton Watson should go back to school, and I don't know what to make of Usman Dieng. I really don't know what to make of him. I think at this point, he is a safe, projectable second rounder. I have no idea what's going to happen to him when we get closer to the 2022 draft. At 39, I have Wendell Moore, 40, Ishmael Kamagate, 41, I have Jake LaRavia, who's taken quite a significant jump in my rankings. Last time around, I had him at 54. Now I have him knocking on getting inside the top 40. I know multiple of my no ceilings teammates do have him inside of their top 40s. 42, I have Josh Minot. 43, J.D. Davison. 44, Harrison Ingram. 45, Hugo Basson. 46, Alan Flanagan. I, I, I was very aggressive in moving up Alan Flanagan. Steven and I even talked about it. He's like, why are you being so aggressive with Alan Flanagan? Be a little more patient with him as he's been coming off injury. Don't only go based on your preseason projections. And now that you've seen him play enough after injury, you're right. I do need to be a little more patient with him. And he is another guy who I have highlighted in yellow. He has a legitimate shot to go back to school. This is where it starts to get more interesting. 47, I have Jalen Williams out of Arkansas, the forward. 48, I have Mr. John Butler out of Florida State per 40 minutes, 12.5 points per game, 6.8 rebounds, 1.5 assists, 2.4 blocks, 42% from the field, 40% from three-point range, 43.5 from the free throw line. That is strikingly low compared to where his three-point numbers are. Uh, 13.6 PER, 52.1 true shooting percentage. He is a 7-foot-1 spot-up shooter. That is what John Butler is right now. I love some of the passing flashes he's shown, particularly out of pick and roll, 85th percentile in terms of pick and rolls, including passes. That's really high for, for somebody his size, but he's, he's very coordinated at his size. He moves his feet incredibly well, versatile defender on the perimeter. I like a lot of the things that he could bring to the table in time. I just don't think physically or in terms of maturity to his game, I don't think he's ready quite yet to make the leap to the NBA. I would love to see him come back to school. I would love to get Coach David Thorpe's thoughts on him since his son does play on Florida State. He's he's seen plenty of John Butler up close and personal by now, and I've heard him say on on the True Hoop platform, he does believe that John Butler is an NBA player one day. I would love to hear his thoughts in terms of if you would recommend John Butler would come out into the NBA draft this year, I'll have to follow up with him on that. But 
if he is going to be anywhere close to projectable for the 2022 draft, somebody's going to take a swing on him. Somebody would draft him, and it would not shock me if he even got all the way up into the first round and somebody gave him a first-round promise they took him at the back end of the first. Would not shock me in the slightest. A lot of people are actually now projecting that to happen with ranking updates. I know Chad Ford has made some pretty significant movements in his latest big board updates this week with both him as well as another player who we'll talk about in a second, Jaquadian Smith. I'm just not going to rank them in that range. I, I don't feel like they've done enough in their own rights to be ranked ahead of a lot of the other guys that I've named before him at this moment in time. I'm not saying that John Butler couldn't be an awesome NBA player one day or an awesome prospect. I just don't think it's right now. But I will put him in the conversation because he at least deserves to be this far into the conversation. Um, 49, Jalen Williams, the Santa Clara wing, who I actually just talked about with Tyler Rucker on this podcast feed. He came on the Draft Deeper podcast and gave me some of his guys. And we talked about Jalen Williams. And he he's impressed me in multiple areas. I do have my concerns with him inside the arc, but his catch and shoot shot is pure. He is a versatile wing defender. He is a really good passer for his position. I'm buying the Jalen Williams stock as a second rounder this year. And if he went back to school, I think he, if I had the bet, I think he would come out of the draft this year. But if he were to go back to school for a senior season, he could be a first round pick next year. 40, I just said 49, excuse me, 50. I have Michael Foster, 51, Mike Miles. 52, Ryan Rollins, another player making a first appearance on this big board. I did not have him ranked last time, but I talked about him with Raphael Barlow. 53, Terquavian Smith. A lot of people listening to this podcast are going to think I have Terquavian Smith really, really, really low. Well, I do. And if I read you some of his per 40-minute numbers, you may go, why the hell do you have him in the 50s? 20.6 points per game, 5.2 rebounds, 2.7 assists, 1.7 steals. Again, those are per 40-minute averages. 39.8% from the field, 36.9% from three-point range, 69.8% from the line. Some of these numbers, though, do concern me. 31st in terms of scoring out of pick and roll per synergy. 35th percentile pick and rolls, including passes. 41st percentile on runners. That's a little low for a 6'3 guard. 7th percentile finishing around the basket. He has had some games where he's been incredibly hot from the perimeter. And to his credit, I am not taking anything away from his jumper. I think that he is going to be a legitimate mid-range and three-point shooter in the NBA in time. But... He needs to become much more comfortable as a lead guard. I don't think he has the size, and I don't think he's going to fill his body out in a way to allow him to play at the two, for example. He's not like Josh Primo in that regard. Josh Primo is a legitimate combo guard for the San Antonio Spurs, and that's a big reason, in my opinion, why I always thought there was a chance he could go in the first round last year and why he soared all the way up to 12. It was not only... The shooting, which in a lot of the same aspects is just as projectable for Tequavian Smith as it was for Primo, but there were size differences, there were handling differences, there were positional fit differences in terms of Primo being a legitimate combo guard versus Tequavian. I think he's pretty much locked into the point guard spot, and if he's not ready to play point guard in the NBA quite yet, 
I really think he should come back to school. He looked like, and I know it was only one game, but this happened to him in, in multiple times that NC State played Clemson this year. He really looked like a deer in headlights the other day. And that concerned me from an evaluation standpoint. I don't expect a prospect to make every single shot. I don't expect every read to be perfect. I expect turnovers. These are, especially from freshmen, these are guys moving from one level of competition to the next. They're adjusting even over the course of a year. The whole point is to get better and continue to make strides and make improvements. Not every prospect's development path is linear. It's not all the same. Every prospect's different. I don't grade purely off of makes, misses, and turnovers, but when a player doesn't look comfortable in the position they're playing, which is the position that they would project to play in the NBA, I don't think he's ready right now to make that jump. Now, if Jaquavian Smith goes back to school, makes improvements as a ball handler, makes improvements as a driver and a finisher in traffic, and continues to light it up from the perimeter, I got no problems with him going in the first round next year. Matter of fact, preseason, I would find it hard to believe that I wouldn't rank him in a top 30 right now. If I was doing a preseason top 30, I don't think that I would have a 2023 draft class projected purely off of freshmen, and I wouldn't have too many sophomores ahead of him. So in all likelihood, my opinion, definitely a first rounder next year, barring catastrophic stepbacks. Just this year, I do not feel comfortable even projecting him right now in my top 45. That's only because I think he needs to go back to school. I'm rooting for him to go back to school, and I'm rooting for him to make improvements to his game, raise his draft stock, get the contract, get the money you deserve, but put the time and the effort and the work in first, just like a number of sophomores did who are going to go higher in this draft this year, considerably improve their draft stock. I just don't think he's ready quite yet. So that's why I have him in the back end. It's not an indictment on him as a prospect. I would still buy into his long-term future. And maybe if you buy into the long-term future, maybe that is justifiable enough proof to take him higher. Maybe that is enough proof to to give him a first-round promise and and sort of buy into this theory of quote-unquote pre-drafting. Maybe maybe that is enough. I know Chad Ford had him as high as 17 on his board this week. And, And Chad doesn't just put things like that into his work purely out of thin air with zero intel or information behind that kind of a decision. He hears things behind the scenes. He talks to plenty of scouts and executives. I trust the type of hype that's building for Smith in front offices. When you dig into some of the numbers, when you go back and you watch the best of the best games for him this year, I get it. I just think it's a little too soon. 54, I have Iverson Molinar. 55, Musa Diabate. 56, Tevin Brown. 57, Oscar Shibway, 58, Julian Champagny, 59, Jabari Walker, and 60, Travian Williams. The Champagny and the Walker rankings, I really do need to revisit them as prospects. I need to do a deeper round of homework on them before I start cranking out the 100 to 1 countdown. I promise I will get that homework done. I, I know what their games are, but I have not monitored them in conference play nearly 
as much as I should have. That's my apologies to the audience. I promise I will I will come back with much cleaner and better evaluations on those guys, and we will see what kind of movement they can create to move up further in my top 60, but I do have them as top 60 prospects. So that's going to do it. That rounds out my updated top 60. I will have this again in printed form on my Twitter feed. So if you aren't following me on Twitter at Draft Deeper, make sure you are doing so. Thank you again for listening to this episode of the podcast. Make sure you're subscribed wherever you get your podcast: Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube. Be ready for next week. Steven will be on with me. We're going to go full speed ahead. It's going to be an amazing run from NCAA tournament start all the way to draft night on the Draft Deeper podcast. I cannot wait for you guys to join us on what an incredible journey that will be, along with joining us over at No Ceilings. One more time, if you aren't subscribed, noceilingsmba.com. Very easy to get to the website slash newsletter. And Substack also has an awesome app that they just released. I downloaded the app on my iPhone yesterday. It is so clean to read all of our pieces on there, along with some of your other favorite Substack newsletter writers. I highly encourage my audience to go out and download that app. Subscribe to No Ceilings. Enjoy all of the written content that we're going to be pushing out Monday through Friday through the 2022 draft and on. But follow us over on Twitter at No Ceilings NBA. And again, continue to show us support. We're loving everything we're seeing from the community. We're so excited for all the next steps to come. In the meantime, enjoy the rest of the conference tournament slate. Enjoy Selection Sunday. We'll be back next week to break everything down. But until then, I hope you all have a wonderful rest of your week.